Well, I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me once again in Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 8. We will pick up this morning in verse 27 and go all the way through verse 30. Not a lot of text this morning, but it packs a punch for us as we consider God's Word together. In fact, over the next seven weeks together, we are transitioning a bit in the series through Mark's gospel from parables and power to this idea of what it means to follow Jesus. In fact, what we're going to see over the next seven weeks together is Jesus pinpoint what it looks like to follow him. And here's the truth we all need to grasp. That is not always an easy thing to do. And especially in this culture in which we live, it is not an easy thing to follow Jesus the way that he instructs us to follow him. And yet, I hope and I pray over the next weeks together that we would be challenged as followers of Jesus, that we would be encouraged, and that we would see in all reality what it looks like to walk along obedience in the same direction. I want you to think about some life-defining moments for you where an event happened in your life and it changed everything about the trajectory of your life. I can think about those moments in my own life. Think about at the age of eight years old, hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ proclaimed to me by my pastor, realizing in that moment that I was a sinner in need of a savior and taking that step of placing my faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. I remember that. That was a defining moment in my life. I remember at the age of 14, sensing a call from the Lord to pursue full-time ministry. And I remember having a conversation with my pastor and saying to him, this is what I think God's called me to do. And he said, listen, you're preaching next Sunday night at 14. Church, it was the best sermon I've ever preached It was three minutes, and I preached it twice for six minutes, and I left just thinking, there's no way in the world I can do that. I had an older gentleman at the end of the service come up. He said, I just want you to know, son, I've never heard anybody complain about a short sermon. (laughs) But that, for me, was a defining moment. I remember in college after my first two years thinking I was heading in one direction and and the Lord just turning it entirely from where I thought I was going and ended up going to a small university to finish my baseball career there. And I met my wife that first semester on campus, a defining moment. You know, for all of us, there are defining moments in our lives. Points that we look back at and we say, if that had not happened, I would not be where I am today. And I want to submit to you this morning that we're going to see in the text, Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through verse 30, a defining moment in the life of Jesus' disciples, a moment that would change the trajectory of their lives forever. And so as we prepare to dive in, I want you to 
write down some parallel passages as we work through Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 30. I want to encourage you in your own time with the Lord over the course of this next week to spend some time in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through verse 20, and Luke chapter 9, verses 18 through verse 20. Both of these accounts will parallel what we're going to read in Mark's gospel this morning. Look with me, Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 27, going through verse 30. This is God's word. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see that you would open our ears that we would be able to hear, that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. We ask all of this in Jesus' name and everyone's sin. Amen. As you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write down this main idea that will frame our time together in God's word. The defining question we must all answer is who is Jesus? This is the defining question that every single human being must answer for themselves. Who is Jesus? In fact, I would submit to you there is nothing in this life more important than the answer to that question. There is no answer that you could come up with to any question that life throws at you that is more important than the answer to the question, who is Jesus? In fact, it's so important that Jesus is going to ask his disciples that very question. He's going to do it in such a way to help them understand what others were saying about who Jesus was, but, but then to press on them a bit to ask the question, who do they say that Jesus is? And it's interesting that as we look, Mark tells us that Jesus has this conversation in a specific area, the villages of Caesarea Philippi. You'll see up on the map this morning where that location is And it is helpful for us as we reflect to recognize why it is so central that this region is described. In fact, you'll look there north of the Sea of Galilee is where Caesarea Philippi was located. And what's interesting is this was pagan territory. In fact, for a Jewish person, they would have not gone to this area at all. It was sin city for this period of time. They would not have traveled to this location because there was a specific landmark in this location where in the cleft of a rock, there was a spring of water that flowed. 
And the pagans believed that that was the location that the various gods that they worshipped would travel back and forth from the underground. And so in that specific location, they would gather, the pagans would, and they would worship there. They would sacrifice animals and children there. There was all kinds of debauchery in this specific location as they quote-unquote worshipped all of the false gods that they worshipped. In fact, the location was called the Gates of Hell. It was in this location that the pagans would gather and worship the false gods that they served. And Jesus takes his disciples there. A little bit of a field trip for them in this moment. They would have been absolutely shocked to have found themselves in this location. They would not have gone there on their own, and yet Jesus takes them to this location. And he asks them a couple of questions. Who do people say that I am? And who do you say that I am? In fact, I want us to look at verses 27 through verse 28 as we consider the general confusion of the people that were in not only this area, but had heard Jesus and seen him perform the miracles. Notice that as he goes with his disciples, verse 27 tells us, to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, it says, on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? This is the question that Jesus poses for his disciples. Listen, Jesus knows that they're already talking about this. Jesus has performed miracles. Jesus has taught in power. It is an incredible thing, you know, for his disciples to have heard him and seen him. And though they, they were struggling to grasp the full reality of who he is, you know that they were talking about what everyone was saying about Jesus. And so Jesus just simply pinpoints the question to them. Who do people say that I am? Guys, I know that you have heard some things being said. Guys, I know that you have heard people talking. Little water cooler conversation in the office. Who do people say that I am? Jesus opens the floor, gives them the opportunity to respond. I want you to notice that here is their response in verse 28. They told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. Jesus asked the question, who do people say that I am? What's the word on the street? And his disciples respond, well, here's who they say you may be. John the Baptist, who's come back from the dead. If you remember, back in Mark chapter 1, we encountered John the Baptist, the baptizer, the one who the Lord had specifically set up to prepare the way for the Messiah, Jesus, to come. Remember that John had said he's not the Christ, he's not the Messiah, 
He's simply there to prepare the way for Jesus to come. But, but there was general confusion by those who were surrounding Jesus and watching him perform miracles. And they thought, well, maybe John has come back from the dead. Remember, he had been beheaded by Herod as a result of saying that he should not have taken his sister-in-law as his wife. Some of the crowds were thinking, well, well maybe John the Baptist, the baptizer, has come back from the dead. And that's who Jesus is. But others say Elijah, which takes us back to the Old Testament. Elijah, one of the greatest prophets that ever lived. In fact, Elijah, who in 2 Kings chapter 2 verse 11 did not die But in fact, a chariot, the scripture says, from heaven carried him from the presence of Elisha, the one he was training to take his place, and carried him up to the heavens. And so they thought, well, maybe since Elijah didn't die, maybe Elijah has come back, and that's who Jesus actually is. Elijah, maybe John the baptizer, and others said... Maybe he's one of the other prophets. Matthew's account says that they point to Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Jesus' disciples have heard the talk. They've heard the word on the street. They've heard what people are saying. Here are the options that they lay before Jesus. Here is who they say you are. Let me ask you that question. I think it's a helpful one for us to think about. Today, in our cultural context, who do people say that Jesus is? I know you've heard. I know you've heard the conversations. Maybe you have had those conversations with people that you love, people that you work with, people that you care for, people that you're trying to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with to point them to the truth of who he is. And they say, listen, I, I like Jesus, but you know, I really see Jesus just as a good moral teacher. Or maybe they look at Jesus and say he was a, he was a great leader. Maybe even he was a great religious leader. Or maybe they look at Jesus and they say about him, he was a revolutionary. When you look at Jesus and what he said to the religious leaders of his day, he was revolutionary in what he said. Maybe they look and they say about Jesus, he is a, he is a prophet of love. That's his main objective. And yet what we often see, and I want to caution us in this, is we often see people in our cultural context create a Jesus in their own image. If you ever notice that, Jesus never disagrees with them, the Jesus that they've created. Have you found that out? Always approves with whatever they want to do. Always gives them the green light to pursue whatever they desire. We should be prepared for the responses that we will often get from the culture about who Jesus is. 
And maybe you've come in today and that's been your understanding of who Jesus is. Maybe you've come in today, you say, Pastor, I would, I would listen to those things that you just said and I would echo an amen to that. In fact, I had a conversation with someone just this past week. And that was the question that we talked about. And those were the answers that he gave. It was really a fascinating conversation. And, and in the midst of that conversation, I said, I said, okay. I said, let me just ask this. If Jesus really did rise from the dead, would that still be your response? And I love this. He said, absolutely not. Because if Jesus rose from the dead, then he is Lord. And I said to him, you're right there. You are so close to recognizing and confessing that Jesus is Lord. Maybe that's where you are today. Maybe you've come in and you want to hear the truth of who Jesus is. I want you to know that Jesus is not scared of that question. Jesus with his disciples is not terrified that they're going to say something that he doesn't expect. Jesus knew the conversations. He knew what was going to be said. And he asked the question anyway. There was general confusion about who Jesus is. In the same way today, I would say for us, there's general confusion in this cultural moment that we live in about who Jesus is is. But I want you to see some glorious clarity beginning in verse 29. Jesus follows up that question, who do people say that I am? With this question, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? It went from very general to very specific for his disciples. And I would submit to you this morning, it is a very specific question for every single human being to answer. Because hear me this morning, it doesn't matter what your parents think about who Jesus is. If you're a teenager here with me this morning, I want you to know that your parents' faith in Jesus Christ as the Messiah will not save you. It does not matter what your spouse says about Jesus. In fact, if you look and you say, well, my, my spouse believes that Jesus is the Messiah, I guess I'm probably okay on the back end of that. No, you are not. It is a personal question for you as well. Who is Jesus. Jesus knows that and asks his disciples that question, who do you say that I am? Not what does the world say, but you. Who do you say that I am? And I want you to notice Peter's response. I love Peter because Peter is willing to answer the question when no one else is willing to answer the question. Even if he were to get it wrong, he's going to open his mouth. You ever met somebody like that? But he doesn't get it wrong here. 
In fact, Peter answered him, and this is his response, you are the Christ. Remember, I've told you before that Christ is not Jesus' last name, right? You with me on that? Jesus Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's not what he's defining here. What Peter is saying here is that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior that we have been longing for and waiting for. The promise that began in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that the prophets continued to reiterate through time, Jesus is the promised Messiah that the Father said would come. And Peter, in this moment, makes that declaration. In fact, if you look at Matthew's account, he, he actually expands on it a bit. He says that Peter's response was, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now remember, what Mark has been reiterating for us week after week after week as we've been walking through this study, what's his aim? What does he want us to understand? What does he want us to grasp? He wants us to recognize and understand that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. That is who Jesus is. Salvation is only found in him and in him alone. Peter makes this declaration right here. You are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. Jesus responds to Peter in Matthew's account and says, Peter, that didn't come from you. But my father opened your eyes to see the truth of who I am. My prayer this week is that the Lord would open eyes this morning to see the truth of who Jesus is. That if you've come in today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, that your eyes would be open, that you would see the truth of who Jesus is, that you would confess him as the Christ, the son of the living God, the only one who can save you from your sin. Interestingly, in verse 30, Jesus strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Isn't that odd? Because we know that Jesus, before he leaves this earth, before he ascends to be with the Father, after his resurrection from the dead, he says to his disciples and therefore to us in the Great Commission, go and tell Make disciples of all nations, baptize them, teach them to obey everything. But here, Jesus says, keep your mouth shut. This confession moment, Jesus says, be quiet. We're going to find out that there's a particular reason he does that as we continue working our way through, that, that at this point in time, as it's declared that he's the Christ, the Disciples had a picture in their mind of Jesus as a conquering Messiah. They didn't have in their minds Jesus as a servant Messiah, one who would lay his life down for those that he loved. 
Jesus is going to correct that as we move forward, but key in this morning on that confession. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. What are the implications for us this morning? As we think through that truth, well, if you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, the answer to this question, who is Jesus, is the starting point for you. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus this morning, I want to press you here to answer this question for yourself. Who is Jesus? I want you to know what we believe that God's Word teaches We've seen it here already, but let me expand on it just a bit this morning. We believe that God's word is crystal clear, that Jesus Christ is the second person of the Trinity, and that he stepped foot out of heaven, taking on human flesh, and came and dwelled among us. We sang about that just a little bit ago, that he lived a perfect, sinless life. And that he took your sin and he took my sin upon himself on the cross and he laid his life down there paying the debt for sin that you owed and that I owed. He didn't stay dead though. In fact, God's word tells us that he rose from the dead on the third day securing for us salvation, making it possible for us by placing our faith and trust in him alone to be saved from our sins, to be brought into the family of God. That is the starting point for you if you are not yet a follower of Jesus this morning. Paul makes it clear in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that whoever confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead, that person will be saved. Maybe for you this morning, that is the step that you need to take in response to who Jesus is. You may be here this morning, though, and you say, Pastor, I've already done that. I'm already a follower of Jesus. I've already made that confession. I've already taken that step. Hear me this morning. We never, as followers of Jesus, graduate from the truth of this proclamation. We don't move forward from here. This is our life. Our declaration that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God, that he is Lord, impacts every aspect of our lives. Every step that you take should be informed by the truth of this confession. Every decision that you make, all of your life as a follower of Jesus is informed by the declaration that he is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God. Here's what's oftentimes a struggle for us as followers of Jesus, that we think about this confession as if the only thing it impacts is our eternal destiny. And it does impact where we will spend eternity as followers of Jesus with Jesus himself. But hear me this morning, it should impact every aspect of our lives. 
Our lives should be radically different as a result of this confession that we have made that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Because if God's Word tells us something is true, we should walk in obedience to that. We don't have the luxury of making a Jesus in our own image. We submit to him as his word defines him. There are also implications for us as a church family as well. Because the answer to this question, who is Jesus, is the foundation of who we are as a people. You say, what do you mean by that? You know, it's interesting in Matthew's account that on the back end of Peter declaring, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, and Jesus saying to Peter, you didn't come up with this on your own. This was revealed to you by the Father. He says on the back end of that to Peter, I want you to, I want you to listen to this in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. He says, you are Peter, and on this rock, this confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, on this rock, watch this, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. As Jesus makes this declaration, think about the location that they find themselves in. The physical, literal gates of hell are right there in Caesarea Philippi. Worship of false gods is prevalent, and it's this backdrop that Jesus drops this statement, this confession will be the cornerstone of the church, gathered believers in Jesus Christ, and Jesus' promise is that his church will be built, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Meaning that as we gather as a church family, as we think about this confession, it reminds us of what we stand upon. What do we do as a church? How can we ensure that what we do will last for eternity? It's the confession. We stand on the truth of who Jesus Christ is. He is our foundation. He is, as Scripture says, the chief cornerstone. This confession is the foundation of the church. It is not only the foundation, church, it is our declaration as well. What do we stand upon? We stand upon the truth of who Jesus is. What do we declare to the world around us? We declare to them their only hope is Jesus Christ and him alone. That is what the church of Jesus Christ is built upon. We will not deviate from the truth that salvation can only be found in Jesus Christ alone. You say, why? Because it is our only hope. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me this morning as our worship team makes their way back up.
you're here this morning and not yet a follower of Jesus, that question that Jesus asked his disciples is posed to you this morning. Who do you say that Jesus is? Maybe for the very first time, after hearing the truth proclaimed that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, the only way to be saved from your sins and brought into the family of God. Maybe for you this morning, that's the step that you're ready to take to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus already this morning and the response for you is once again clinging to that confession and allowing it to continue to transform your life this morning. Maybe there's areas of sin as a follower of Jesus where you have sectioned off in your life and yet if Jesus is Lord, this is a moment for you to confess that sin, to cling to the truth of who Jesus is, to respond in obedience this morning. Maybe as you think about our church family, what God has called us to do, maybe you simply want to spend some time praying this morning that this confession of who Jesus is would flow through every aspect of ministry here at North River so that our community hears and sees clearly that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Salvation is only found in Him. Father, we thank You this morning for Your Word. We thank You for the clarity that it reminds us of who Jesus is. God, for the person here that's not yet a follower of Jesus, would you pierce their hearts this morning with the question, who do they say Jesus is? God, for us who are already followers of Jesus, remind us of this confession. It should change everything about our lives. And God, help us as a church family to be built upon the foundation that Jesus Christ is the Savior. May we declare that with every breath that we have. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, would you stand? Our altar's open this morning. Our pastors are down front. I want to encourage you as we sing this song together to respond to the Lord and to His Word.